0: you would please turn the Bible to Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3. We are right here in a uh, a unique little setting for us. We went through the Minor Prophets for uh, almost two years, and we just finished that up, and we're in between. This is our last Sunday in November. Next Sunday is December the 1st. That will begin Advent season, and so for all of those Sundays in December, we will have Christmas sermons, Christmas messages, and then once we get into 2020 in January, we will start walking through a new book, and we look forward to that. So here we are with this one Sunday right here where I kind of had a, a free-for-all. I could do, do whatever, and so I wanted to really encourage you guys to guard your heart. I don't know if you're familiar with that phrase, but I really, really want you to guard your heart. Um, I've started doing this thing with my daughters at night where I want them to just uh, rack up a huge bank, storage bank of Bible verses they have memorized. And so I've picked out, we're starting off several Proverbs that they're, that they're working on and that they're, that they're memorizing. We started with Proverbs one, which says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Y'all, I mean this, I don't care whatever my girls ever have or whatever they accomplish, I'm okay with them being a failure at everything in life as long as they have a name that reflects the glory of God. Proverbs 22.1 points us to that. Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. I want my daughters to know that no matter what, no matter what this life brings them, in Christ there is safety, right? Right? Uh, the next one is Proverbs 3, 5 that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Don't want them to think they know what's best. I Don't want them to think that uh, their mom and dad have taught them what's best. I want them to know that the Lord knows what's best and we can trust him. And then here recently, like real recently, like the past two weeks, we've been working on Proverbs four twenty three. That's one of my favorites. It says this. It says, Above all, guard your heart. Above all, guard your heart. For from it flow the springs of life. And they've got it, they, they've got it. I, I thought about putting Carolina on the spot to come up here and quote it to you all, but we won't do that today. But trust me that they both have it, right? Above all, guard their heart. And I want them to really and truly be able to guard their heart. And the Bible says the, the very thing. I mean, Proverbs four we've memorized. But here in Hebrews today, Hebrews chapter 3, I, I want you to see that this is a huge warning that we must be guarding our heart. Now, Hebrews is going to tell us to not have an unbelieving heart. Don't let your heart become that way. But in the bulletin, I put church, guard your believing heart. For I know you know Christ. I know you know the gospel. I know you've trusted in it, the majority of you all, those of you that are a part of our church, and you, you know that Christ is the only thing that can satisfy you. We just sang that He is the sure and steady anchor, right? We just read in our call to worship from Psalm 118 that Christ Jesus is the cornerstone, right? The cornerstone that everything is built on, Jesus is. We just sang in the solid rock, right? that Jesus is that foundation, the solid rocket. Everything else is sinking sand. We have to make sure that our heart knows that, sticks with that, clings to that, and believes that. I remember when I was a teenager, my dad, when something cool would pop up and everybody would go crazy about it, my dad would say, oh, it's just a fad that won't last That's just a fad. That won't last. I had a buddy in college. We went to play golf one time, and we weren't any good. And a little bit later, we went to play golf. And the first time we played, he didn't have clubs. And the second time we played, he had a whole nice new set of clubs. And everybody's like, man, where'd you get those? He said, well, if we're going to start playing golf, I figured I'd get me some. We never played again. It was a fad. He had those clubs that didn't last. True story. A couple years later, we got into Frisbee golf. We went down here to Iroquois Park. We we're playing disc golf. And he went. He didn't have any discs, so he borrowed somebody's. Next time we went, he had a big old bag, about 15 discs in there, and thought, man, where'd you get those? He said, you remember my old clubs? I went up to play it against sports, traded a win, got me a whole bag. Got me a whole bag here. I was like, okay, great. We played a few times, never played again, right? And I remember my dad saying, ah, oh, it's just a fad. It won't last. And y'all have had things like that in your lives, too. Folks, listen to me. God cannot be that. God's not a fad. He he lasts. We are to adjust everything. We are to turn away from that which distracts. We are to hit our knees and cry out for that which pulls our heart away. That which darkens and confuses our heart. We are to say, oh God, guard my heart. Set my heart upon Jesus. And so today, in in, in very much so a different style of sermon than you're used to for me, I'm going to show you several different passages. I'm going to give you three different examples of where they weren't guarding their heart. And I hope that that will push you toward guarding yours. Let's start today at Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 12 and 13. Now you may know, because we've talked about it, that Hebrews is a sermon Most of your New Testament books are letters. And so we think about one person writing a letter to somebody else. But this one's a sermon. We don't know who it's from. We don't know who preached it. But you can tell it's a sermon. And the purpose of a sermon is to push somebody to turn away from their sins and to trust in Christ. That's what sermons are for. That we would say, man, I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. And Jesus brings it. Okay? So that's what we're looking at here in Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The Bible warns that you can move into having an evil, unbelieving heart. The Bible warns us here that your heart, which once was soft, can become hardened, and you don't care about the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings, that you don't care about the, uh, the, the conviction that God knows. You don't care about living in a way that honors him. Take care that your heart doesn't become like this. A few weeks ago, I preached from Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the of the sower, right? And the, and the seed is sown and it falls on the one ground and the birds take it away, nothing happens. Then it falls on the, uh, the rocky ground and uh, it starts to grow up, but there's no root, right? Then it falls on the other ground and it starts to grow and things are going well, but the weeds choke it out. And The Bible even says that it chokes out the word of God. And then it gives us that fourth one and that's what the scripture we read earlier that one verse in Luke 8:15 and I wanted to point this out to you because it mentions the heart. There Luke 8:15 says, "And as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word of God hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience." that there is a person that says Christ is the anchor, Christ is the treasure, and that the word of God is the way I know that, I hear about that, I learn about that, and my heart is receiving it. And so we see the mention of heart there in that sermon I preached a few weeks ago, and we see the warning here in Hebrews to guard our hearts. Don't let your heart become that way. Well, like anything else, that means there must be effort and attention and discipline, and self-control. We must keep it from those things that distract and keep it from those things that will lead it to get harder, and we must put it in position to be fed. We must put it in position to thrive and be healthy, and this is really simple stuff, but we need to be reminded of it. We cannot let God be a fad that will not last in our lives. We want our lives to be steady and constant with Jesus. Now, there's a big difference in admitting that I am steady and constant, and there's a big difference in knowing that Jesus is steady and constant, for our hope is in him. Our faith is in him. We are able to say when we fall, I need God's forgiveness. We're able to say when we struggle, I need his mercy. I need God's kindness in my life. And the Bible says he has that for us, and so we can trust that. Our faith is not in our ability to be strong, but it's in Christ's strength. Our faith is not in our ability to never mess up, but it's in Christ's perfect righteousness that we believe in, and in believing that, we get that righteousness. It's wanting our heart to stay there. It's wanting our heart to keep believing. Well, today, I want to give you three different people, three examples, and we won't spend much time on this, three different examples of people in the Bible that you've heard of, perhaps, and how they did not guard their heart. The first is Demas. The first is Demas. I think you've heard of him before. His name is found three times in the New Testament. He was a companion of the Apostle Paul. You know that Paul was a missionary. Paul traveled the world, and he took the gospel to people. He planted churches, and he had people with him a lot. At the end of the letter to Philemon, it says this. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ... Sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The apostle Paul was traveling around and he did things. We know that that often Luke would write about his travels with Paul. The book of Acts was written by Luke. And Luke often says we and us. And he's writing about Paul. And he was with Paul. He knows that. And we see that there are other people there. We see Mark's mentioned, Epaphras, Aristarchus, all these people. But there, as the fellow workers with Paul, they're on that mission team, was Demas. It's one of the places that he's mentioned. Well, if you turn to Colossians chapter four, and you don't have to follow all these, just listen well and, and, and maybe take notes. But it, you get to Colossians chapter four, it says this. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and Jesus, who is called Justice, And at this point, with those first two mentions of Demas, <clears throat> you and I have come to know that this is a good guy. This is a brother in a faith. This is one who's with the apostle Paul. He's seen persecution. He's seen church growth. He's seen the miraculous. He's seen the Holy Spirit turn sinners to repentance and embrace Christ. But later in Paul's life, Paul is not writing letters to churches. He's writing letters to individuals, Timothy and Titus young ministers. And when Paul is writing to Timothy in Second Timothy, at the end, suffering Paul in prison, writes this, Second Timothy 4.10, Do your best to come to me soon, Timothy, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. I don't want to get too emotional here this morning, but that's sad. That is sad. Demas, who was his fellow worker in the other books of the Bible, has now abandoned Paul. Has deserted him. It's a strong word, isn't it? We used to be in this together, and now we're not. The Bible warns us To not allow our hearts to become evil and unbelieving, to fall away, to become hardened to the truth and to the cause and to the kingdom and to the message. And yet here we have Paul saying that Demas is gone. Now, those are the only three mentions of Demas. And I want to be clear here today. You know, one of the things, I've been saying this a lot lately. One of the things that you've got to learn in this age of news and uh, social media and all that kind of stuff is you should never, ever, ever, Misrepresent the other side. If you want to be a good, godly, faithful Christian, don't misrepresent the other side. If you're a politician on this side, don't talk bad about them if you don't know what they're about. And if you're a politician on this side, don't talk bad about them if you don't know what they're about. Hear them out. Let them speak for themselves. Don't try to brainwash. If you've never never met Patino or Calipari, then I may not speak for them if you don't really know what they're like. Make sure you represent the other side fairly, even even if they are completely opposite of you. It's important for us to do that. Don't build up some fake case and then rail on it because you're so opinionated. We don't do that. We're humble people. We are quick to hear and slow to speak. We don't want to misrepresent anybody. We don't know everything about Demas. I don't know if he left the faith. We don't know if this means he's totally not a believer. We don't know if he is now not saved. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he ran out of money and said, I got to get back and get back to work. And Paul told him, don't do that. The Lord will provide. And he said, no, I've got to. Maybe that's all it was. Maybe it bothered Paul that he did that. All it says is that he has deserted me because he loved the present world. That's a strong statement, right? The Bible warns us that we should not love the world. And I do think that we could believe or think that he probably fell away from the faith because this sounds so strong. But we don't know that for sure. We don't know if he went home and got caught up in something for a couple years, came to his senses like the prodigal, and came back. We don't know. That happens to people, right? We don't know if he went home in love with the present world and then came under great conviction and said, man, what have I done? We don't know if he finished his life strong. We don't know anything that happened to Demas after this. And so let's be careful to not misrepresent Demas. What we do know is that the apostle Paul was living his life for Jesus. He had counted the cost, followed the calling, and was traveling the world to see that other people would know Christ. Timothy is a pastor in the world in Ephesus because of the way Paul had been a mentor to him. We know Timothy was now living in that pastor. uh, Timothy was a pastor of the church of Ephesus. We know Titus now is a pastor in Crete because Paul had left him there. We know that Paul had been living his life to see other people live for Jesus. He had prayed with people, discipled people, taught them the Bible, and all of that. And Demas was a part of that, and now he's not. He's abandoned him. The ESV study Bible says, in contrast to Paul, who is persevering in spite of suffering because he has an eternal perspective. Demas abandoned Paul because he was in love with the present world. What a contrast, right? And when that happens, listen, deserted me is a good word, isn't it? One of the things you've got to get used to really quickly if you're going to follow Jesus is some loneliness at times. I hate to say that. There's a sense in which I don't want to say it and don't want to admit it because it could be so discouraging that it'll make you not want to be a Christian. If you're going to follow Christ, there's going to be some loneliness. There will always be people in your lives that walked with you for a little bit and said, I'm just not going to do it anymore love you appreciate you i'm just not gonna do it anymore we don't know all that happened in paul and Demas' relationship but he's not there anymore and you want to talk about discouraging it's discouragement when you say things like we used to memorize scripture together but we don't anymore we used to pray for god to give us strength but we don't anymore and we used to Study the Bible together, but we don't anymore. You remember those times? Man, those were good times. But they're not there anymore. We don't know what happened to Demas exactly. But we know that he used to be a fellow worker with Paul. And now he has deserted him in love with the present world. Church, the Bible says, we cannot love the world. 1 John 2 says that directly do not love the world or the things in the world. The Bible wants us to catch a heart that people would know Jesus, that you and I would truly believe that sin has separated us from God and that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus down the cross for us That anybody anywhere that would cling to Christ as the answer would be saved, would be welcomed into the family of God, would have their sins forgiven, would have eternal life. If they would just hold tight to Jesus, that's it. Hold tight to him, believe, repent, trust Christ. And when God does that work inside of us, he causes us to want other people to have that. He causes us to want to give and go and be involved and pray and work. We want to be fellow workers. We don't all do the same thing, but we're fellow workers in this. I want your neighbors to know Jesus. You want my neighbors to know Jesus. I want your kids to know Jesus. We're in this together. When somebody drops off and says, I'm not about that anymore. That's heavy. Don't let that become you. Don't let the faith, the church, the mission, the joy of your salvation be something that you used to be. Don't let that be something. Don't let the, listen, don't let the sweetness of waking up a little bit early and drinking your coffee as you read a little bit. Don't let that be something that you used to do and was so good for you. It's incredible how much God will impact your life when you guard your heart. Don't abandon that truth that you once clinged to like Demas did. Demas loved the world. Demas deserted Paul. He did not guard his heart. The second one is Diotrephes. You probably never heard of this guy. Turn to 3 John. 3 John. It's the second to last book of the Bible. I mean the third to last book of the Bible. You got, if you go to the end, you got Revelation, Jude, and then 3 John. And you've probably never heard of this guy. But I want to show you what is said about him. This is a short little letter. Really letter, really short. Only 15 total verses. So short there's not even chapters there. So just look at verse 9. Third John, verse 9. Now, this is the Apostle John, not the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle John. This is the guy that was really close to Jesus writing this. He says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first. Can you imagine if the Bible written by God said that about you? This brother likes to put himself first. does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. The apostle John saw a big problem with Diotrephes. Again, we don't know a lot about this guy either but apparently then in those days, all of these groups of misleading false teachers would travel around and they'd often have a Bible with them. You know, and I guess we do have some of that today. There are people who come to your house, so they're set up on the street corner. They're set up over here and pick Pack cash saver and try to lead you in the wrong direction. And, and they'll have a Bible and they'll try to tell you something or something like that. And that same thing happened. If you'll look up just a little bit at second John verse nine, look at this second John verse nine. In my Bible, it's the same page. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Does everybody see that? If you go ahead of where the church is, you've left. If you go further into what you think is good teaching, you've left. You don't have God, but he keeps going. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked work. So right there, John has told the believers, if people come teaching the wrong thing, don't receive them. Don't receive them. Don't let them in your house. Don't let them do a Bible study with you. That's what it says there, okay? Now again, we don't know all that they're talking about, but we understand that. So what we have down here in 3 John is this guy, Diotrephes. Who knows if I'm saying that right? Okay, this guy likes to put himself first. And there were some good faithful brothers, some missionaries that came. And because Diotrephes was such a power guy, he's on such a controlling type of a leader, he wouldn't let them come. He started telling all the church, don't welcome them, don't welcome them, don't welcome them. Just a few weeks ago, we had some of our missionaries back in town. They've been traveling the country, they've been traveling the world. They were back in town. We were so thrilled to have them They stayed for a week in some of our members' house. They brought their kids here. They shared with us on a Wednesday night, and they shared with us on a Sunday morning. It was awesome to hear how how much God is working in their lives. It was fantastic to hear him preach, right? As our brother, and we loved it. It was a great sermon. I've heard many of you talk about how good that sermon was from Isaiah 40 on Behold Your God. We were glad that he was here. It was an encouragement to us. Third John says that this guy, Diotrephes, because of his power trip, because he always wants to put himself first, doesn't want the church embracing those good missionaries that were coming through. This is a bad sign, isn't it? One commentator speaking of this says, Diotrephes' rejection of John's recommendation did not stop with his own refusal of hospitality. For then John adds, he also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. This man who loved to be first enforced his will upon others who would have heeded the elder's recommendation. He goes on and says, such action represents an abuse of leadership responsibility. It was a disturbing example of desiring to be first and one which the the apostle could not allow to persist not only because of the loss of honor he himself experienced when his letter of recommendation was rejected, but also because the overbearing behavior of Diotrephes itself was quite unacceptable in the Christian community. You know what's unacceptable in the Christian community? You having an agenda that's not for the glory of God. You having desires for the church and for the kingdom that aren't in line with the scriptures, that don't have Christ at the center... Folks, there should be nobody here. Not me, not any of our other elder pastors. There should be nobody here who likes to put themselves first. You ought to be willing to take out the trash, sit in the corner, never be on stage. You ought to be willing to be the -the behind-the-scenes person. You ought to be willing to do whatever needs to be done as long as Christ is at the center. What a shame that there's a guy who thinks he's a leader for the church of Christ that the New Testament describes as he likes to put himself first. Folks, when I walk out of the room, of any room, and people still talk, if they're saying that about me, tell me before I leave today. May Christ be what we're about. May Jesus be what we love. May we be able to say, like that good psalm says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. May Christ be exalted in our lives. Again, we don't know a whole lot about diatrophies, but we know that he rejected the authority of the church. That's a bad sign. He couldn't submit to the leadership. The apostle John And he loved to put himself first. He had not guarded his heart. He couldn't rejoice that the church was being built up. He couldn't rejoice that Jesus was working and changing lives. He couldn't. He had not guarded his heart. So we got Demas. we got Diotrephes. And then lastly, the one you'll know most, we have Judas. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. We have Judas. If it's true, like Hebrews says, that our hearts can become evil and unbelieving, that our hearts can become hardened, then you and I ought to say, I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen to me. I want to lean in. I want to pursue. I want to set my eyes on Christ. I want to make some changes. I want to make some adjustments in my life. You probably know the story of Judas when Jesus started his ministry, he called 12 disciples. And for three years, roughly uh, Jesus' age, 30 to 33, Jesus had a three-year ministry that we know about from the time we see him come on the scene to the time that he's crucified and, and done away with and, and ascended up into heaven. We've got a three-year window. And in that three-year window, which we learn almost everything we know about Jesus... He had 12 disciples that he poured into. He wasn't trying to go for 20 or 50 or 100 or anything like that. He had 12 that he poured into and one of those 12 was Judas Iscariot. You probably know that. At Matthew chapter 26 verse three it says this, then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. Jesus had so proclaimed the glory of God and so proclaimed the need of a savior. had so said that he would die for the sins of the world that they did not like that. He was certainly ruffling feathers and going against the uh, Jewish religion. And so they wanted to get rid of him. They knew if we get rid of this guy, we kill him and he's gone. Then that thorn in our religious side will not be there anymore. And so they had a plan. You jump over to verse 14 of Matthew 26, it says this. Then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. If we're talking about guarding your heart, okay? Okay. We're talking about guarding your heart. Judas should have fought this desire. He should have pushed back. He should have had some accountability. Can you you imagine being Judas? I don't know where he's at, and he probably didn't have a couch, and he probably wasn't watching TV, but can you imagine being Judas? And he's sitting there and he's thinking, I I really could use some money. I'm, I'm just not feeling this anymore. I know I've had a good run with him for three years and I have seen him feed to 5,000. I have seen him raise people from the dead and I have seen him change some lives, but I'm just, I'm, just not, I'm just over it. I'm just not feeling it anymore. I can't live that life forever. And then he decides to go find the chief priest and gets up and goes, y'all, it's in that moment where he's gotta be fighting against his heart. Every one of us have doubts and temptations and insecurities and struggles. Every one of us have those thoughts. Every one of us have thought about selling out and just going after money. Every one of us have thought about selling out and giving in to the sexual temptation. Every one of us have thought about just saying, you know, I know what the Bible says, but I don't care. Every one of us are tempted in those ways. But guarding your heart says, but what's my anchor? What's my foundation? What does it mean if I go this way? I've told y'all that quote many, many times. It says, sin hardens the heart. And the hardened heart likes to sin. Sin hardens the heart. Uh Uh-oh, I messed up. Now my heart's getting harder. But when your heart gets hard, you like to sin. And it creates a huge snowball effect, a huge downhill experience of I'm falling away. I'm going in a wrong direction. And Judas should have known when he's sitting there thinking I'm gonna go talk to those chief priests. I know they're wanting to get rid of Jesus and I'm in the inner circle with those 12. I could help them accomplish their purpose. And then you turn over to verse 47 of Matthew 26. Jesus, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up, this is just so ugly, y'all, listen to this. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. Like a nice, friendly, honestly, cheap shot, punkish, ridiculous exchange here. Greetings, rabbi, that means teacher. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. You're not to feel sorry for Jesus in a moment like this. Jesus has all authority in heaven on earth. He's not bothered by anything anybody does. It was the will of God for Jesus to die at the hands of lawless men, for him to be crucified on the cross. You ought to feel sorry for Judas, who was okay with abandoning who he was to be a part of that. Judas loved money. Judas betrayed Jesus. Listen to these quotes from J.C. Ryle on this situation. Let us see in the end of Judas how little comfort ungodliness brings a man in the end. We are told that he cast down 30 pieces of silver for which he had sold his master in the temple and went away in bitterness of soul. That money was dearly earned. It brought him no pleasure, even when he had it. Proverbs ten two says, The treasure of the wicked profits nothing. Sin is, in truth, the hardest of all masters. In its service, there is plenty of fair promises, but an utter dearth of performance. Its pleasures are but for a season. Its wages are sorrow, remorse, self-accusation, and too often death. They that sow to the flesh do indeed reap corruption. Are we tempted to commit sin? Let us remember the words of Scripture. Your sin will find you out. And let us resist that temptation. Let us be sure that sooner or later in this life or in the life to come, in this world or on judgment day, sin and the sinner will meet face to face and have a bitter reckoning. Let us be sure that of all trades, Sin is the most unprofitable. It is a solemn saying that John Bunyan used to say, that none fall so deep into the, fit, into the pit as those that, those that fall backwards. Meaning, I used to be about Jesus, but I'm not anymore. I used to be guarding my heart, but I don't anymore. It is written in Proverbs 29.1, He that being often reproved hardens his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. May we all strive to live up to our light. There is such a thing as sin against the Holy Spirit. Clear knowledge of truth in the head combined with deliberate love of sin in the heart go a long way towards sin against God. And so now what is the state of our hearts? Are we ever tempted to rest on our knowledge and profession of religion? Let us remember Judas and beware Are we disposed to cling to the world and give money a prominent place in our minds? Again, let us remember Judas and beware. Are we trifling with any one sin and flattering ourselves that we may repent by and by over and over again? Once more, let us remember Judas and beware. He is set up before us as a beacon. Let us look well at Judas and not make shipwreck of our lives. We have Demas who loved the world and deserted Paul. He knew better than that. We have Diotrephes who loved to be first and rejected authority. He knew better than that. We have Judas who loved money and betrayed Jesus. He knew better than that. If you know the story of Judas, you know that it wasn't long at all before he fell into deep regret. Judas ran away from what he had run to. Judas ended his life so confused about who he was, what he was about, who he loved. Truly an example for us. Don't let that happen to us. And so I ask you here today with the example of Demas, Diotrephes, and Judas, is Jesus a fad in your life that will not last? Have you guarded your heart? Do you have set up now in your life things that help your heart grow? Do you know how to guard your heart? Do you say Jesus owns my heart, my heart is set on God? Do you understand Proverbs 4.23, above all guard your heart for from it flow the springs of life. The heart is at the very essence of who you are. And yet our heart in and of itself is wicked and deceitful. We must surrender our hearts to Jesus. We sang at the beginning of this service the good old classic hymn, Solid Rock. While we were singing, my my son Noah came up there and stood with me and we were singing together and I, I leaned down and said to him, man, this is an old one, but it's one of the best. Listen to how it describes a heart set on Jesus a guarded heart, if you will. My hope is built on nothing less. Y'all, we don't hope in other things. We don't hope for good weather, bad weather. We don't hope for raises or no raises. We don't hope for home runs when we're up to bat. We don't hope for things. Our hope is in Jesus. Everything else can let us down. We hope in Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust even the sweetest frame but a holy lean on Jesus' name. When darkness seems to hide his face, I told you that I don't like to admit it, but Christianity will bring loneliness to you. Paul says he's deserted from his fellow workers, guys he used to run with, guys that used to pick him up when it was tough. The songwriter says, when darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor is. Holds within the veil his oath his covenant his blood support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way he then is all my hope and stay when everything about me has really let me down when everywhere I turn I'm thinking how did I end up in this terrible position I'm not even happy anymore I remember from Lamentations 3 and I taught on that such a long time ago but I've never forgotten in Lamentations 3 before it gets to his mercies are new every morning great is thy faithfulness in Lamentations 3 there's a spot right before that where it says I have forgotten what happiness is. It says that in Lamentations 3 I've forgotten what happiness is. And church I want you to hear today the Bible warns us to guard our heart so that, that there would not be a hardened, evil, unbelieving heart. And so often what we think is the way we should go is not. And it turns out having let us down. And so may we be reminded here today that Jesus is truly a savior, a sweet savior. That we don't want to be like Demas or Diotrephes or Judas. We don't want to say Jesus is a fad and that it won't last. We want to say Jesus has my Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for a different type of sermon today, but thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the strong warning in the book of Hebrews, and thank you, God, that that your word gives us examples of people that we should not follow. Thank you, God, for those uh, bad examples for us. May we not love the world. May we not abandon those who have been faithful to lead us. Father, may we not put ourselves first and reject authority, and may we not, by all means, betray you. Father, thank you that if anybody turns back to you, you will receive them. You do not reject people who come to you. Father, thank you that your arms are open wide as we have already sang today, God, that you receive us and we thank you for that. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to guard our hearts and be set on you. God, help us have the barriers up and the protection up and help us have the the, the things in place that feed and water our heart, God, that it would be the good soil that there would be fruit producing. Father, we thank you that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and is our Lord and Savior. It's in his name we pray, amen.